The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So, no more timeouts left. This is the game. This is the season for one of these teams. Snap. Kick is up. Kick is good. The Chargers are out of the playoffs. The Chargers snatch defeat from the hands of victory. That's the call from the Los Angeles Chargers on Saturday night as the Jaguars erased the 27-0 deficit, won the game. feel bad for the Chargers, but this is the time of year of winners and losers. And I think the longer you last, the more it hurts when the defeat actually comes. Something that we'll be discussing the aftermath of that defeat in the coming minutes here on PFT Live. Presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. We are live on Peacock, Sirius XM85. Hello to everyone watching on Sky Sports NFL. Also listening on the podcast wherever, whenever, however. Good morning, Christopher. This is one of those pivot days, and there's been a lot going on. We had Super Wild Card Weekend and all the issues that needed to be addressed, and there are probably still some we haven't gotten to yet, and then we swing toward the divisional round, which starts on Saturday. We'll be in Kansas City for Jaguars Chiefs, and we have a little more freedom today. It's not as structured, or maybe... I think it's not as structured as the folks who make the structure would think, but I feel a little more freedom to delve into some topics and maybe get some things off my chest today. I'm kind of looking forward to today's show. Okay, good. I'm I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, those subjects are that you need to get something off your chest about. So that's good. But I mean, yeah, we're not shy on news here. I mean, of course, it's the middle of the playoffs, but yeah, coaching, hiring, firings, you know, we're trying to match coaches with different spots so uh yeah I, I do think we got some good subjects to talk about today here well and, and i was going somewhere with that yeah, i do want to take a couple minutes to share a story about an interaction i had last night with my son because he's still still upset about his vikings losing to your giants yeah. on sunday yeah. he's still upset about right. it and and he's venting and ranting and yesterday also happened to be and thankfully no one in the control room realized this two key anniversaries for the vikings 24 years since gary anderson missed his only kick of the entire season to keep the vikings from going up by 10 points late in the nfc championship game to cap the stellar 1998 randy moss rookie season of course anderson misses the field goal falcons drive down tie the game force overtime win it in overtime That one took a while for me to recover from. And it was also the 35-year anniversary of one of the most underrated and surprising Vikings teams going 8-7 and in the strike year. I don't think they put the resources into their replacement team as others did. Barely got into the playoffs. Backed in when the Cardinals, then in St. Louis, their last game in St. Louis, beat the Cowboys, got the Vikings in. Vikings shredded the Saints, who were 12-3 and that year. Beat the 49ers yeah. somehow, and who were 13 and two, and right. then and then lost lost to Washington on a drop pass at the goal line by 
Darren Nelson. So both anniversaries yesterday. So I was already feeling it a little bit yesterday. And my son's going on and on, and he's got a theory. It's not mine. It's his. And I know that it's, it's easy for me to blame it on someone else who doesn't have a microphone. But here's his theory, and I kind of like it. He thinks Minnesota fans are too nice. They're too tolerant. They're too willing to put up with stuff instead of demanding that the team make the changes necessary to finally win a damn Super Bowl. And they just kind of go along with it. They just kind of float. Like, it's three days after the game. There hasn't been any talk of the Vikings, oh, I don't know, firing Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator, who did a poor job all year long. And I understand they're transitioning talent. That's what I was saying to Alex. They had a 4-3 for years, and they're transitioning to a 3-4, and you can't automatically find all the guys you need. But the, the, it just you saw how they were shredded yeah. on Sunday. Right. And, and, then he starts on, and then he starts on Kirk Cousins. Oh, gosh, here we uh, go. And by the, time it was all said, by the time it was all said and done, he, he's, he's no longer a believer in Kevin O'Connell. I mean, the whole thing, it was – I think it was – Sounds like a Florio for today. him to <laughs> articulate it so he could move on with his life because at a certain point you just have to move on with your life. But, yeah, it's taken him a while to get over what happened on Sunday. Yeah, I, well, listen, it, it hurts. You had high expectations. I get that. And uh, even though you knew there was flaws with your football team, you kept winning games. So you thought, well, we've we're got something magical about us. We can overcome these flaws. Uh, I, I get that. I understand his point about – you know, maybe the Minnesota fan base being not as demanding or yelling or being as jerky. I don't know if that necessarily means wins, though. I mean, there's a great case study up here in the New York area. It's called the New York Jet Fan. All they ever do is yell at that <laughs> and fire somebody, and all they ever do is stink. So that doesn't necessarily translate to wins, and I know they're doing better and, and uh, going, that, going in the right direction, but you know what I'm saying there. So, uh, but, but, yeah, it is kind of the Ed Donatel thing. I think there is talk right up there. I know I was on the radio once up there during the year, and I pay attention to, to local news and things like that. I, I think they're frustrated with them, but it doesn't sound like they're getting out the pitchforks and you know uh, starting a starting a torches. Yeah, torches exactly. To, to pitchforks and torches. Exactly. I was getting there eventually, and and trying to get this guy All fired right, right now. And Let's I think help. some of that is because of what you said too. And I, I think that that there's an attitude that. Everyone should be happy about what happened. It was a new regime. They went 13-4. and four. They had exciting games. Kirk Cousins led some great comebacks. That's all well and good. But in the wild card round of the playoffs, when you lose at home, when you're favored to win, and I, who, I mean, I think a lot of people believed the Giants were going to win that game. I think one of the reasons people believed it is we, we know what the Vikings tend to do when they get into those big spots. They tend to not deliver and we, we continued to discuss the fateful fourth and eight the decision to throw short of the sticks Kirk Cousins not wanting to take a sack split second later KJ Osborne would have been wide open or just throw it to Justin Jefferson like he did in Buffalo like that I it's hard I think some Vikings fans allowed themselves to think it was going to be different it was a different Kirk Cousins and then there's the Kirk Cousins discussion and this is the last I'll say about it because we do have to move on to the actual news how are you going to find somebody better? You know, we talked about the Tom Brady duck and cover. Kirk Cousins doesn't duck and cover. He takes those hits. He and does he gets a up lot. And he keeps going. Right, right. He's he's aggressive too, right, Mike? I mean, that's where I know that last play we all want more, but we also know he's not the kind of guy that's going to, you know, necessarily break out of the pocket and set up and throw some laser across the field or do any of that. But he is aggressive decision maker. I, I think we can all agree on that. He's certainly not afraid to pull the trigger and try to squeeze a ball in 20 yards down the field. You know, his arm's good. It's not great, so he's not going to like go crazy with that. Uh, and, and again, I think logically, you know, you got to put yourself in, in the shoes of Kirk Cousins a little bit with this situation. The two plays previous to that, Dexter Lawrence was all up in his grill, even on the K.J. Osborne throw yep. across the middle, right, where you go, I wish he would have let him a little bit more. Sure, but even that one was barely get it off, get hit by Dexter Lawrence. And then I'm sure he's keeping his eye on him a little bit. He's dropping back, and he's going, whoa, the guy that's blocking him is continuing to get closer to me. And that's why you make that decision. And I do think, you know, ultimately, Jefferson was doubled. He would have got to Osborne as the next read, I think, if he had the time. But he felt that heat coming and got it out. And, you know, I think you're on the right track with Kirk Cousins. That. 
He's not a superstar. He's not top five. Uh, but he's not the problem with your football team. You can win with Kirk Cousins. You know, I know we'll have the conversation about clutch and prime time and all that, but damn, he played good enough to win that football game. The defense, the run game, some of those guys, they got to help out too a little bit, you know, and, and that's where I don't always love the pile on Kirk Cousins conversation. And and I ultimately told my son the defense just needs to get a little bit better because yeah. his point is, can you remember a playoff team that felt like it needed to be completely overhauled the way this one does. Right. Right. And that, yeah. that's what I was dealing with last night. So <laughs> I was the rational one for wow. a change. What's going I on? was the one supporting everything that's happening in Minnesota for a change. In Los Angeles, mm. despite many who believe that it's time for a coaching change, and I still think they are underestimating the way that Saturday night's loss is going to hover over the team until major changes are made. A half measure, if you will, happened on Tuesday when offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi was fired. He's the grandson of Vince, by the way. And Shane Day, the quarterback's coach, out the door. So there is accountability. And I remember when Brandon Staley was hired as a defensive guy. Hey, if this goes really well with Justin Herbert, you're going to lose your offensive coordinator because he's going to become a head coach somewhere else. Well, two years later, Staley throwing his offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach overboard basically to save his own ass. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with doing that. That happens. Guys you've hired to come in and work with you end up getting fired because it's not working. And there's an element of self-preservation that goes on in this job, Chris, when you're talking about head coaches. Yeah. It's either them or me. And if I don't let go of these guys, I'm going to be the one who's gone. And I remember there was a time when coaches would draw a line in the sand and refuse. Sure. I'm not firing my staff. Sure. Okay, pack up your shit and get right. out of here. Right. Sorry, sorry, first 15 minutes of the show. But pack it up and go. Yeah. And so I think, I think those folks realize these jobs are too few and far between to just give them up. And you give up your buyout probably too when you refuse an order like that. They probably got the contracts written in a way that if you are told that you're going to make staff changes and you say no, they just cross out that duty to owe you money. So anyway, we don't see it. I remember it happening 20, 30 years ago, maybe more, a few times. We don't see it happen very often, if at all, when a head coach says, I'm not going to do it and stares down the owner and gets thrown out the door. No, you're right. I, I mean, the, the one that kind of jumps out to me, maybe the one that, the biggest one would be like Mike Shanahan. I believe that's kind of how it went down with the Denver Broncos, right? There was, I think, some demands of making the staff change. And he was like, no, these people are too important to me. They're in the foxhole with me, and I'm not going to do it. And that's what ended that relationship. You know, I don't even know. I might be breaking news there. I'm not even sure if I was supposed to say that, but I said it, so it's too late now. There's got to be a, a limit. That's like okay. 15. Statute you know, limitations. Right, right, exactly. You've got to be secrets. too far down the road there. But uh, I don't think that's a secret by any stretch of the imagination. But, yes, you're, you're right. I think now, um, you know, again, coaches are extremely loyal, but I think the assistants understand, too, that it's cutthroat, and they understand, hey, you're getting pressure from the powers above you that are, you know – and trying to push you to make some big decisions here. I'm sure there is a little bit of self-preservation here by Brandon Staley. I don't think Brandon Staley should be fired. I don't. I'm one of those. I understand the conversation around it. I mean, it's two years. They get to the playoffs. Last year, they're on the edge of the playoffs. And I think they've just this just this year, did they get defensive players there that made sense for his scheme? You know, they th still went through the injury thing, which has got to be dissected. And, and and fix there with the Chargers. But ultimately, I can understand the, the firing of Joe Lombardi. I mean, Mike, right? I mean, again, he, there's some good things they've done. And he's not certainly not a bad offense of mine. But I think what it really is, is you got something here. You got a blank canvas to go like, whoa, you can do whatever you want because we got this quarterback that can do whatever you want. Like, whatever. Any play in the history of football, he can do it and do it with ease. And that's where I think is kind of the the glaring problem there. It's just, just it's too ordinary. And how many weeks did we come in here going, there's Herbert jamming in a five-yard throw, jamming in another five-yard throw. And I think it was lack of creativity and really using this guy's potential to its utmost that is the reason probably Joe Lombardi gets fired. 
Right, but you know, this is where we become dog circling and yeah. chasing its yeah. own tail because the same scrutiny that could be applied to Lombardi could be l- applied to Brandon Staley. Sure, sure. He's got to manage his guys. He's got to demand. He's got to be involved. He's got to say, we need to get the ball down the field more now. And excuses we make for Staley. Well, they had a ton of injuries. Well, those yeah. excuses should be available to Joe Lombardi as well. And the one thing right. that we don't know and won't know is for how long Justin Herbert was messed up and how messed up he was after that rib injury in week two that caused him, remember, during the game to just not run right. to the sticks. An easy first down. Remember that play where he just kind of pulled up and said, I can't do it? How long was he hurting and how much did that affect his ability to get the ball down the field? It's either the injuries to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams or it's the Justin Herbert wasn't 100% until who knows when and still may not be 100%. He's not the kind of guy who's going to say it. He's got that Matthew Stafford in him. He's Definitely. quiet. Yeah. He just deals with it. He's the, the old gunslinger that strolls into town no matter how many bullets are riddling his body and he just keeps going, right? That's what he is. And I, I, I just – the injury thing, they've got to get to the bottom of it. They yeah. can't just treat it as stuff happens. And I also feel like there's an element and, – and I don't want to pick on Dean Spanos, the owner of the Chargers here, but there's an element of content. There's an element of what – I've accused the Vikings of this in the past, and I'm trying not to today. Just good enough is good enough. Being in the hunt is good enough. Being relevant past Thanksgiving is good enough. Being in the playoffs every other year is good enough. There isn't that overwhelming obsession, which can be counterproductive and unhealthy, frankly, right. to win a Super Bowl. And it gets you to do crazy things like give up all your draft picks and have top-heavy salary cap space devoted to a handful of aging stars and creating a situation where you have a rebuild that looks so daunting, your head coach thinks about running out the door until he realizes he's going to get shamed for running out the door. That's what the Rams have, but they got a trophy. So I I think those nice Minnesota fans and maybe these tolerant Chargers fans would tolerate the back end of having a trophy. The problem is if you go all in, there's no guarantee you're getting the trophy, but you're definitely getting the problem on the back end. Well, yeah, you are. And, you know, again, I know there, you, you know what you're saying there. They're, they're content with, you know, being relevant. I hear you there. But I, to me, you know, again, you know, how many times are we going to cut the cord here? You know, that, that's to be the first thing I talk about. I think we got like Anthony Lynn. That was kind of a dicey decision. Things th- seemed like they were going in the right direction. It was seven and nine. Okay. Then when they go to Brandon Staley, that's fine. Anthony Lynn, right? There were some game management situations and man, he got unlucky and they messed some games up at the end of games. Brandon Staley. Hey, but we know there's been some discussions about the fourth downs and all that in year one, but still they were on the doorstep of going to the playoffs and beating the Raiders there in Las Vegas. But even last year, the offense, I do, I think everybody in the league would say it was a little underwhelming. It was a little easy to figure out, you know. There hasn't been a run game. And I know there was injuries, you know, this year too, but they couldn't run last year, and some of these same problems were there last year as well. You know, maybe this is one where they just go, hey, I actually think we're going in the right direction here. And, you know, to counter your point a little bit, I do think they – have gone, I think, you know, this is a step of, wait, I got a young head coach. I, I believed in him. I hired him. He he did come up with some good defensive game plans this year against some offenses that, we, you know, we know we weren't at full strength as far as the Chargers defense was concerned, and we slowed down and made life hard on some really good offenses. Miami, the 49ers, hung in there with the Chiefs both times, right? So they did that. But the offense was always a little bit like, oh, 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 oh. It was just underwhelming that way. And they put money this past season into some defensive free agents, you know, and I think building around Brandon Staley's vision here, which I also think kind of makes it harder to cut the cord too because you're like, wait, we got some of these guys because they fit his scheme and what he does. So, man, are we really going to abandon ship here? So I understand them staying with Brandon Staley. I understand the hot poker of, you know, you might need to make a change. And I I don't disagree with this change. I got great respect for Joe Lombardi. But uh, I do think as an offense with this quarterback that, you know, could use some imagination. We saw more imagination in Justin Herbert's, like, first year under the last coaching staff. 
and you know Shane Steichen, and who's now with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that opened our eyes more to more wow plays than we've seen the last two years from you know Justin Herbert and his current staff. And you mentioned that they have a blank slate now. You yeah. have an offensive coordinator who can come in mm-hmm. and be attracted to. I saw that yesterday. I see these narratives that just are kind of lazy and tired. They yeah. get regurgitated by folks in this business. I'm not going to name names, but just the idea, oh, this instantly becomes the most attractive offensive coordinator job. Does it? Does it really? It's, yes, you're working with Justin Herbert, but, you know, we've seen coaches on the hot seat struggle to get an offensive coordinator because that person knows I am stepping into a situation where everyone's job is riding on my ability to come in here and fix this. Look last year, Matt Rule was unable to get a high-end offensive coordinator, settled for Ben McAdoo, and what happened? Rule was gone October 10. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. So – that, that's the downside of this. On one hand, you get to work with Justin Herbert. On the other hand, if you don't make it work quickly, everybody's out of work. That's the downside of yeah. this. So I don't know that it's as attractive as the knee-jerk you get to work with Justin Herbert crowd would say. Well, I, I hear you there. You know, it's great, great risk, great reward kind of, kind of uh, you know, chance or take, your, your chance you're taking there a little bit. I, I, I don't disagree with you there. But I think the good ones – are the ones who really do have they're gonna just go, well, this is we, we got something here. Because the one thing they're gonna there's two things you're gonna look at with that Justin Herbert conversation. They're gonna go, one, okay, he's freaking awesome. And then they're gonna go, two, whoa, the O line, healthy. Even the other night, what we saw, I mean, Jacksonville couldn't get close to Justin Herbert for a good part of the football game. You know, and they weren't even at full strength. So they're gonna look at that and go, wait, there's two pieces there right away. And then Okay, we got a Keenan Allen, who I know is smart, and I can do a lot of stuff with, and Austin Eckler out of the backfield. And, you know, now, hey, maybe we need to add a little sizzle and splash, another speed guy to this. But this guy is too much of a rare freak to be throwing normal West Coast BS slant flat, double slant, five yard out with the flat route bullcrap type of plays. This is the guy you go, no, you drop back over here. We're going to keep the tight end in here. And this guy run the fake cross post over the top. And this guy come under here and go this way. And, hey, big guy, you're protected and unleash it. And they just don't do enough of that. And we saw, like I was saying, more you know, in 2020 than we did the last two years with this current regime. And that's where, again, I just don't think they're maximizing the potential. And I think that's ultimately what they've come to the decision of. That they just should be more dangerous on that side of the ball. Regardless, even with some of the injuries, their attack itself, even when healthy, is not you know dangerous, creative enough, and, and all those things that we talk about, Mike. And um, it'd be interesting. He's got to do his homework here, Brandon Staley, because like you're saying, if it doesn't go well and they barely get in the playoffs and lose or don't get in the playoffs, he's going to get fired. He is. Um, but if he can find the right guy here, they I don't know. Care. Is he? Is he? I don't know. I don't know. I don't You're know. Right. Well, he's going to have the conversation before, before around. Before we close him. the book. Right. Right. Before, before we close the book on the Chargers, yeah. let's hear from Justin Herbert on whether he believes in his current head coach, Brandon Staley. Of course, we believe in Coach Staley in the front office um, 100%. Um, you know, everyone would be lucky to have a coach like Staley. Um, you know, he's been an incredible leader. Um, he's got the respect of everyone on our team. He's genuine. He's himself, and, and we believe in him. And, and uh, he's been the same person the past two years. And, um, you know, it, it didn't go our way this year, but we took a big step forward. And we believe in this, this coaching staff, this team. Um, we've got the right pieces. we just got to put them together. We've got to execute better. And, look. You, you expect a quarterback to be loyal to his coach. I don't put a lot of stock in that. He's yeah, not going to come exactly. out and say, man, if we just had a better head coach, we'd still be playing. We wouldn't have lost that game. We would have run the ball more instead of pass it when we were up by 20 points or more in the Run game. the ball so, more, Mike, or I, I even just, find like, some creative ways to get short screens, completions, swing passes where, okay, we're not a good running team, but here's some good ways to throw the ball that keeps the clock running and we maybe get a few yards. I think that was what was disappointing too. All I'm done. Sorry I cut you off. I just That was a good point. I think. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's right. fine. <laughs> but, um, but, but regardless, look, uh, Justin Herbert's now eligible for a second contract. That's a business issue that's hovering over the Chargers. They're going to have to pay him a lot of money at some point. And if they do move on from Brandon Staley, it's going to cost money there. Now with each passing year, there's less of a buyout, but you got to replace him. And 
I, I, that was a job that I think both Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh would have wrestled with each other to right. try to get. And 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 look, look, Harbaugh staying put at Michigan, he may be saying, hey, you know, if if the Chargers aren't any better, that job may open up, and then there's my opportunity to go back to the NFL with Justin Herbert and try to see what I can do. It's still a tough division. Yes. We don't know who Denver's going to get to be their head coach. Right. We don't know what the Raiders are going to do under Josh McDaniels, where they go from here at quarterback, and the Chiefs are still the Chiefs, and they are still the cream of the crop. And this is the year they all came after the Chiefs, and we saw what happened. They all ultimately fell flat, although if the Chargers had managed to win that game. Yeah, they're scary the Chargers matchup. and Chiefs this weekend yeah. would have been very, very interesting. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Lions didn't make the playoffs, but they had to sweat out the possibility of losing their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. NFL media reported last night that Johnson, who had drawn interest from the Colts, the Texans and the Cardinals, I believe, maybe the Panthers, one of those teams in there. He's a North Carolina native. I, I can't remember the three teams, but there were three teams. He has informed the Lions he's staying put. He was scheduled to meet with the Panthers today. Now, this could be a factor of he really didn't think he was going to get a job this right. cycle. Right. Or, or because, I, I look, and this is another one of those predictive narratives that people in our business just kind of lazily throw out there. Well, he's sure to be a hot candidate again next year. Are you sure? Yeah. Byron Leftwich was a hot candidate last year. Right. He ain't won this year. We're right. going to talk about him coming up. So the world changes quickly in the NFL. Every season is different. When the window is open, you better try to get through it because that window may be slammed shut a year from now. It may be your only chance. And, you know, Chris, I didn't know a whole lot about Ben Johnson's background. Ben Johnson's 36. Ben Johnson's been a coordinator all of one year. He yeah. replaced Anthony Lynn, who was right. fired after one year with Dan Campbell. He's a holdover from Matt Patricia's staff. He's a guy who didn't get fired along with everyone else when Dan Campbell took over. And this gets back to a conversation I've had with many people over the years, and it really is amazing to me. And I don't know what owners are thinking. And maybe they're just influenced by people in the media who just assume hot coordinator equals definite head coach. Well, what do we know about Ben Johnson's leadership skills? What do we know about whether or not he's going to be a successful head coach? Is he ready? Should he wait? Right? The, the, the fair-haired young coordinator doesn't always become successful head coach. The problem is you really don't know until they go do the job. But yeah. I'd like to think there's some way to glean whether or not this person can come take over a room and provide the leadership necessary to be successful. And, you know, I'm thinking Nathaniel Hackett while I say that, but I also remember when Matt LaFleur got the job with the Packers thinking, man, they're going to eat him alive in that locker room with Aaron Rodgers and all his passive-aggressive nonsense, and LaFleur's not going to last. He's not going to be able to run that team, and he's done a great job. So, uh, I mean, the bottom line is Ben Johnson's ship may come in. We'll find out if and when it does, whether he can be a successful head coach. But for now, he's tapping out. My concern would be there's no guarantee you're going to be able to tap back in. No, you're right. There's not. I, I mean, to me, it does have the feel of kind of how you started the conversation off here with this subject, right? That he kind of, you know, reading between the tea leaves there and just, you know, feeling the temperature of the water. I think he started to realize probably that he was not going to get one of those jobs, which I understand. You know, again, I, I don't think Carolina or the Broncos, for that matter, those two specifically – 
are looking for the new upstart guy, right? I mean, they kind of just got burned by that. So that's, Absolutely. Right. They're out the right. door. And then it gets into Houston, you know, the Colts, that conversation there. Okay, maybe there's some logic. It seems, you know, again, I don't know. Houston, Houston looks like they're looking for somebody a little more, you know, proven as well. Um, but with Ben Johnson, you know, I think you said it right. There's still questions. Is he really ready to do that yet? I don't think that's going to make owners feel warm and cozy or GMs that are in the hiring process. His offense is awesome. You know, all, we can look at it from, you know, the last year and a half or so and go, whoa, they've done some great things. They are an offense going back to the past conversation with, with uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers where it would be perfect. I mean, again, it's, it's not only like awesome offense on both sides as far as running and throwing, but creativity like we showed in our pregame right before the Packers the ability to tie plays together hey there's this play hey there's this play hey this play looks like the play you just saw a few times oh it's something else he does he's great at that and that has a few wrinkles off of that as well along as well as well as being aggressive I mean Jared Goff look at what he's done with Jared Goff I know Dan Campbell deserves some of this credit too but this, this was by far Jared Goff's best year of his career. I don't even care what the stats say. He might have had better years stats-wise with the Rams. But like we talked about, it was, you know, all about, well, we got to make it easy for Jared and let him throw it to the guy in the flat and hope he can run for something. They they built Jared Goff into like, no, Jared, you got to throw this in here. Look at these throws we're showing right here. These are things we did not see from him in a consistent basis from Goff. So, He's obviously got some skill. We'll see, but you're right. There's probably a few more answers or questions that need to be answered for for owners and GMs who are in this hiring process. It's entirely possible he'll be a superstar, and I think we see owners take calculated risks all the time that they want to catch that star on the way up because once it's fully risen, somebody else will be employing that star head coach. But it, what, what, a, what a fascinating exercise it Crazy. is. And I've been meaning to write about this because, uh, like, just the whole question of who does and doesn't get second chances and what you can do to sanitize your resume to get that second chance. Like, okay, I failed as a head coach, but I went back and I was a coordinator and we had a couple of good years, so now I get a chance to be a head coach again. Well, why is that person going to be different the second time around? Yeah. Just because they went back to the job, they did well enough to get them a head coaching opportunity in the first place. Whereas you've got former head coaches out there who did well, who and and and, and look, we we employ one of them in Jason Garrett. His exactly name exactly right. Up. If you look well, at you're right. If you look well, at Jason Garrett's resume, it's way better he, than people want to give it credit for. That's for sure. And 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 I don't. This isn't this isn't help our guy get a job. Okay, Bill O'Brien. Yes. They're talking about him as an offensive coordinator. Why the hell aren't they talking about Bill O'Brien as a head coaching candidate? Uh-huh. Right? Right. I, he I don't did get well that did with the Texans. Better than well. In a, in a, in a, in a dysfunctional organization, right. as we've learned. Right. And he still did well. What, what, about, what about Marvin Lewis? Marvin Lewis threw his hat back into the ring, and everybody ignored it. He did well in a dysfunctional organization with Andy Dalton. We see what Andy Dalton's been since he left the Bengals. Yeah. He hasn't been the guy that he was with the Bengals, yeah. and he's still young enough that he still should be pretty good. Right. And he's not when he's not with Marvin Lewis and the Bengals. And, and, and hell, I'll even throw in Mike Zimmer. I mean, Mike Zimmer was good enough that at least you consider giving him an interview. You at least bring him in. He could be the exact opposite they're looking for in Arizona. Right. Yes. You want somebody to come in and kick some ass and take some names and get Kyler Murray pointing in the right direction. He's at least a guy you bring in and talk to him and pick his brain a little bit, or at least see what he's learned through the downfall of his time in Minnesota. People are capable of changing and growing even in their sixties, man. Definitely. So Frank Reich I, I, would be I'm another just, one I, I'd throw in that conversation. Well, you know, Re- Reich's Reich's getting an interview with the Cardinals. Right. He's getting an interview with the Cardinals. That came up last night. Yeah. So. Um, but but if but if Reich's getting one, yes, right. Th- these other names that we mentioned, like how is this happening? How does this dance card get put together? Who is it out there that's deciding these are the names? Is it just follow the leader? Like one name lands on an interview list, so all the other owners decide I better interview that person too. Well, yeah, and well, and and nobody and and everybody ignores you know these folks who are hiding in plain sight that that aren't even getting 
the time of day. It's just weird. And yeah. I'm not saying they should be hired. What I'm saying is, why aren't you bringing him in to talk to him? Be, Marvin yeah. Lewis made it clear it. He, wants, he wants another opportunity. Why wouldn't you talk to Marvin Lewis? Why wouldn't you talk to Bill O'Brien? Why wouldn't you talk to Jason Garrett? Why wouldn't you talk to Mike Zimmer? And I'm sure there's others I'm not thinking of, and I apologize to those folks if I'm not thinking of them, but coaches who did well, who didn't go back into the mill of, I'm going to go be an NFL coordinator and do the thing I did that got me the job in the first place and hope they forget that I didn't do a very good job as a head coach because I went back and did a good enough job as a coordinator that they thought, well, this guy's doing a good job as a coordinator and he's got head coaching experience, even if it wasn't great, and we're going to hire him as a head coach again. Yeah, I, I, Mike, you, I mean, you, you, you said a lot of awesome things there. I agree with you. You know, I do. I mean, hey, Jim Caldwell. I mean, hey, I'll throw him in there too. Like, what? What the hell? Yes, he got a. Oh, he got to coach the dysfunctional Lions, and what overachieved every year he was coaching there, and then he never gets a chance because they go, "Whoa, they didn't advance in the playoffs." I'm going to be like, "How did they make the playoffs?" That's that's what I wanted to ask, right? I mean, been to a Super Bowl with the Colts. I mean, you know, not for a few injuries on their football team, they're going to beat the Saints and a great onside kick. Uh, so uh, I, I don't understand it either. I think a little bit, Mike, it's a really deep conversation that really would probably take a full segment. But it's it's a little bit of, you know, perception and media hype. It's also the mob. The mob plays a part in this. You know, it's it's the, the social. You mean the mafia? Well, no, not them. Not exactly Don Corleone. <laughs> but the, the Don Corleone assholes on Twitter and Instagram and everybody else who are just all in it to ruin people's lives. I just want to be yeah. clear. Yeah, well, no, yeah. Clear. Yeah, they want people to professionally swim with the fishes and Luca Brazzi, okay? But not actually kill them, right? Sleep. So, sleep. Yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not swim. Yeah, yeah, swim right. is sleep. fine. Yeah, swim yeah. is a normal he's activity sleeping. for the fish. Sleeping with the fishes. But, and then also, I think also the coaching tree you come from. Like, if Ben Johnson was with Shanahan this year and had those results, I think everybody goes, whoa, let's hire him, right? And that, that, I think, has to do with it. But it's Dan Campbell, and they seem like a bunch of crazy meatheads up there. So let me just evaluate that one more year, right? I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of all that. And, yeah, for whatever reason, I do think owners and GMs, they – they take the temperature of the, the social media mob that we're talking about a little bit because they know if it's something that's unpopular that that group is just going to wait for one bad thing and go, well, you hired Jason Garrett? He never went to the Super Bowl ever. Like, you guys are so stupid. What were you thinking? Right? And it's just that also plays a factor in this, and it is a fascinating psych psychological experiment to your point, and uh, – if Ben Johnson stays the course, he'll be a head coach sooner rather than later. Uh, if he stays the course and once he gets the opportunity, we'll find out whether or not yeah. he can do it. There's yeah. a chapter in Playmakers, by the way, that focuses on this concept of the NFL owners getting caught up in what basically is a realization of the Peter principle. That's a satirical concept that was devised in the sixties that basically we all rise to the level of our own incompetence because we keep getting promoted when we do a job well. So we get promoted, you do a job. Well, you get promoted. You keep getting promoted until you get into a job you can't do. Then you don't get promoted anymore. And in the NFL, when it happens, you get fired. Right. But the skill set is so fundamentally different for head coaches. You, and, and as, as an owner, you've got, you basically got three tracks right? General tracks, coordinator who's never been a coach before, guy who's been a head coach before, whether he's gone back to be a coordinator or he's done other things or college coach. Those are the three tracks. And we're, we're not seeing a whole lot of college coach run this year, except for Jim Harbaugh. I think Matt Rule may have set that back a little, Agreed. A little while. Urban as did Meyer. Kingsbury, right. frankly. Yeah. yeah. Urban Meyer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it seems more again this year, it's the rising coordinator, except for the teams that have been burned by the rising coordinator. And you just, you know, it's funny how we see teams do that ping pong, that pendulum swing, the exact opposite, the exact opposite. And we look at what happened to the Broncos. They've had three straight first time head coaches who were previously coordinators. And the other teams don't learn these lessons vicariously. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And what also is fascinating is all happening in a compressed time frame. You fire your coach either during the season or immediately after, and then it's go, 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 go. We got to go find a head coach. And I think some of these folks just kind of get to the point where they're 
tired of the process. It's too much. I don't want to fly here. I don't want to fly there. I don't want to do this. It's a long day. I've had enough. I've had enough. Let's just hire somebody and be done with it. Yeah, I I don't disagree. It's a tiring process, I think, for not only, you know, the, the, the candidates that are up for it year after year and swing and miss and don't get that opportunity. The other thing that's a pain in the ass is it's, it drives the head coaches crazy because they're always like, wait, is he leaving? Is he staying? Who am I going to make the next guy? And every year, oh, wait, we're, we're preparing for this game, but you're preparing for an interview. And it just it, it, it goes on year after year, too, where it exhausts, it exhausts a, a team. I'm sure that's a little bit how Andy Reid feels in, in Kansas City. Yeah, he's like, what the hell? And, you know, Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach already. But every year during the playoffs, I got to deal with, hey, he's going here. He might get hired. I got to think about a replacement and tell that guy, hey, I might need you to replace you if he goes. But if he doesn't, hey, you, you know, I'll try to find another spot for you. Uh, so it, it, it stresses organizations out. It's a stressful process altogether. There is no exact formula to figuring out who's getting hired or whatever else. It's a lot connection based as we know that's the biggest thing who's in the g who's in the agents too who's yes agents. the agent who is the owner listening to and being advised by you know who's the gm where's he been before what are his relationships and prior history and that's how a lot of the times a lot of these connections get made and uh it should be an interesting hiring cycle nonetheless it, it seems like it's going to be here uh, at the early get-go there's a small handful of agents who are basically the kingmakers when it comes to coaches right. and GMs, and that's not good either. And you'd like to think the owners are smart enough to see through that as well. Okay, we mentioned Byron Leftwich a little while ago because yeah. he was a hot commodity last year. There was a report that he was going to be the new Jaguars coach, Adrian Wilson, the executive with the Cardinals and the longtime safety with the team. And he, I think he ended up elsewhere for a little while too. Went he with New England for just like a brief cup of coffee at one point. Maybe I'm – I'm misremembering, but he's identified mainly as a member of the Cardinals. He was going to be the GM in Jacksonville. They were going to force out Trent Baalke, and right. it just never happened. It just fell flat. Now here we are. Byron Leftwich embattled. I mean, this was, this was supposed to go very differently. Let's set this up. Bruce Arians, if, if we accept him at his word, and I'm not sure I'm willing to, but if we accept him at his word, 17 days after Tom Brady unretires, Bruce Arians steps down because basically he wanted to give his guy, Todd Bowles, an opportunity to succeed. He wanted to put him in a good spot. There was a presumption everything was going to go well. Well, it didn't go well. And now, Chris, what you got is two of Bruce Arians' lieutenants who may not be on the same page anymore. In Todd Bowles, the head coach of the Bucks, and Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator. Multiple reports out of Tampa that Leftwich is going to be out. Let's have a listen to Todd Bowles from yesterday talking about Byron Leftwich and possible changes to the coaching staff. I don't have any assessment right now. I'm reevaluating players. We'll meet as a coaching staff later in the week, and I'll meet with individual coaches as well as the staff, which we do every year, and we'll make those assessments then. I don't want to sit here and say we're talking about things when I haven't even talked over things with my coaches. We do our yearly assessment just like we do with the players. Um, I don't know. I don't, look, I've never been a head coach of anything at any level, and I don't want to be. Yeah. But I kind of think he's got a little backward there. Wouldn't you? I mean, I know you want to. I guess you want the benefit of the information and the analysis that's that what coaches have about that's, the players. That's the first before thing. you decide whether you're going right. to fire the coaches. It's just kind of weird. It I want to get every last drop of information I can out of this guy before I ask him to pack up his stuff and go. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a strange. It's a strange reality, but there's a lot of strange things about that industry. Yeah, there is. There, it is a strange reality. It, it's normal process here. I mean, again, this is the de- they just they just lost two nights ago. I mean, so. Uh, I mean, right. you know, yesterday is one of those days where you're saying bye to the players. You know, they've come in, cleaned out the locker a little bit. Yeah, and you start to get to your coordinators and coaches and go, hey, evaluate your position group a little bit. And they're going to send back like, a report and, and kind of go from there. And then I would think by the end of today, yeah, it starts to go into evaluating the coaches a little bit and the conversations about the future and where that goes. I, I mean – I'm a little shocked by this. I don't know. Maybe there's something going on that I'm not aware of down there or whatever. But, I mean, that that offense, I mean, I, I know Bruce Arians was there and was a part of it. Byron Leftwich, we know, was a major architect of the offense. They win the Super Bowl with 
a first-year quarterback who's older and, like, you know, again, you have to play a certain way, and they find the right formula and dominate the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Last year, I mean, they were one of the most explosive offenses in football. I mean, and, and weren't great at running the ball last year. This year, again, 45-year-old quarterback, injuries on the offensive line, Mike Evans has lost a step, Chris Godwin's not the same, Leonard Fournette's coming to the end, there's no Gronk, there's no Antonio Brown, you have a quarterback who is afraid to stand in the pocket and make throws ball, throw the ball down the field. He can make no plays off schedule. They can't. They don't run bootlegs in, in ever. I mean, you can't run bootlegs with Tom Brady. It's never been a part of an offense. So that's why they can't run the ball, and the weak side guy can steal the runs to the weak side all the time because you never have to worry about Brady. But it's Byron Leftwich's fault, and that I don't know. This again, if there's something I don't know about, I'm sorry. But from the outside looking in, it just it doesn't look right to me, at least. One of the reports out of Tampa, I think from pewterreport.com, suggested they were thinking about firing Leftwich during the season when things weren't going well. And the whole thing just seems weird because it, it has been this sense of it's Leftwich and Brady working together to devise the offense. Bruce Arians, when he was there, was just kind of the overseer. And remember, that was one of the narratives last year, one of the reports, one of the storylines, that Arians would swoop in and make changes, and there was some resentment because they were the guys busting their asses. Arians was semi-retired, let Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady do their thing. And I don't know what happened this year. I don't know whether or not the offense struggled simply because Tom Brady was distracted. Tom Brady wasn't all yeah, there's in all because that he was too. going through right, right. serious I mean, personal issues that, you know. and it Went to Mr. Kraft's wedding in a big game in Pittsburgh. I mean, yeah. 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 And then played exactly. that crap, and we just go, oh, okay, no problem. Keep I, I mean, going. Yeah. How, how many NFL players are married long enough during their careers that they get to a point where they go through a high-profile divorce. I mean, yeah. how many NFL players are married to somebody that would even be a high-profile divorce? Has that ever even happened? And Byron Leftwich is the guy who's trying to hold it all together while his quarterback takes a 10-day break during training camp, goes to a wedding the night before, or the, the Friday night before, a game that they ultimately lost in Pittsburgh that they should have won. Uh, and, and then, hey, it all could have been forgiven, and it all could have been forgotten if they had turned it around and rediscovered the vibe that we saw from them in the playoffs each of the last two years but when you fall flat on Monday night that's not a very good closing argument if the thought is to keep Byron Leftwich around and we mentioned this yesterday there's a vibe coming out of Pittsburgh that maybe Mike Tomlin is waiting to see what happens with Leftwich before he makes a final decision about Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator. Now, I don't know that Tomlin makes all the staff decisions there. I think Art Rooney II, the president of the team, has a lot more influence and control than people realize. But, um, you know, it's something to monitor because just the mere fact that Todd Bowles didn't come out and say something along the lines of, why the hell would I fire Byron Leftwich? It makes you wonder what's coming next. Yeah, I, I, I hear you there. Uh, it was a disappointing year. I get that. But, man, there was a lot. And again, maybe there's something here that that I'm not aware of, you know. But it, it seemed like things were off kilter within that organization all year long, right? And I we heard little rumors about people complaining about other people in the organization and all of that. And I, you know, again, it's 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 hard to put your finger on any one thing. I think it's a team that you know its shelf life expired a little bit. That's how quickly it happens in the NFL, and they need to kind of refurbish their roster to a degree and you know I just we're blaming the offensive coordinator and I know there was issues there but man there was a lot of issues within that that made offensive coaching pretty hard and, and here's here's the other reality before we take a break here and I like Todd Bowles seems like a great guy seems like a great coach he's 34 and 51 now as a head coach and he falls into the category of guy who and now of course he was a head coach which the Jets, where no one, I think, is capable of being successful for a variety of reasons. But he was with the Jets as the head coach. And then you, you, you come to Tampa, you win a Super Bowl, if things feel different. And, you know, Bruce Arians didn't get criticized for this the way he should. I was too focused on whether or not he was telling the truth. And if he was telling the truth, the idea that he deliberately walks away when he did to basically force the team to take on Todd Bowles as the head coach. 
I mean, that was the quote that he gave to Peter King, Arians did. Basically, I did it now instead of next February because next February you have an open search and you got you know coaches who lose their jobs. So I did it now so I could hand the baton to Todd Bowles. That's basically what he said. I don't know that ownership would be all that thrilled about that. Like, we'd like to hire a coach that we we want, not the coach that our last coach wanted to give the job to. Yeah. And I thought maybe there'd be some chatter about Bowles being one and done, but – uh, I, you know, as we go into 2023, he's going to be one of the guys, Chris, that is firmly on the hot seat. Yeah. And job number one is going to be, what are you going to do on offense? Are you keeping left? Which are you moving on? And then what are you going to do at quarterback? Cause I doubt there's any way Tom Brady's playing for that team next year. Not where the organization currently stands. No, no way. I mean, like we talked about yesterday, he was trying to get out of there last year. I think he saw some of the writing on the wall there. You know, maybe Bruce Arians did too. Now, Bruce, listen, anybody that knows Bruce, he is the type of dude, the type of guy that would do that for his guys. That's why they love Bruce Arians. He is one of those guys that would do that. I don't think you would disagree with that. He'd be one of those coaches that would pull a power play like that for the benefit of, yeah, his coaches. And I think that's why anybody that's ever worked for Bruce Arians, for the most part, is loves him and like would take a bullet for him. And I, I don't think we can you know, disregard his little imprint on the team as a head coach either. You know, his ability to get a light a fire, the hot poker, talk some crap, no excuses. I do think that made them an edgier football team that they've missed with, with maybe Todd Bowles here this year. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that whole process last year, I, I still, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what went down. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Was it Brady forcing the issue? Was it Bruce going, wait, the freaking guy wants to come back and play. He didn't really want to play for us. I know everything that's out there. He's trying to go to the Dolphins, and now he's coming back. I mean, Bruce could be the type of guy I'd be like, oh, I don't want to coach that jerk. Yeah. I, I, I want to beat yeah. him up every yeah. day I see Why are we him. bringing so, him back? Right, why are we why, bringing, why, right, why are we bringing him back? I'm out of yeah. here. Yeah, so there's just a lot of things there that are that are weird. It's been a weird year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if nothing else – I think Brady's instincts have been reaffirmed because he knew it was time to get. Yeah. And after what he went through this year, now again, his personal issues may have been a factor, but I think he probably would say, yeah, I was right to want to move on because this wasn't the year that I hoped it would be. Let's take a break. And when we return, we have one last thing to say about one specific thing that Tom Brady did in what may have been his final game with the Buccaneers. We'll discuss that when PFC Live continues right after The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.